want to welcome you this morning. Uh, my name is Brian White, and I am so glad that you're here. Uh, did want to say, um, and, and I don't even know where she is because everybody is wearing masks, so I can't tell anybody from anybody, but it's April's birthday, and I know she's somewhere around here. She may be in the back online, but just, and it was uh, Lucas's first day on base. That was really cool. That made me happy. Yeah. You know, there's, there's um, Trevor said there's, there's so much going on, and it's nice to have him back. He, uh, he was in um, Europe for the last month, and then actually Grimelda just got back from New York as well, and it's neat to have everybody come home, and uh, just hope everyone's getting some time away in the midst of everything, and you know, we're, we're lifting up so many things in uh, prayer, uh, this whole world. There's so much going on, obviously, from uh, Afghanistan right now. A lot of us are just, you know, I'm hoping, praying. Uh, right now with the hurricanes in Louisiana, uh, COVID, uh, the hospitals, uh, our God is greater than all of that, though. Um, come back to the series that we're finishing up today, kind of, and I want to just jump right into an amazing, amazing passage from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Mark and uh, Jesus' passion, starting with the sixth verse. At the festival, he used, uh, this is talking about Pilate, at the festival, he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they asked. Now, a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom, and he answered, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? He realized it was out of jealousy that the chief priest had handed him over, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd and had him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate spoke to them again, then what do you want me to do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. And Pilate asked, why, what, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate Wishing to satisfy the crowd, release Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole cohorts, and they clothed them in a purple cloak. After twisting some thorns and a crown, they put it on him, and they began saluting him, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him, knelt down in homage to him, and after mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and then they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. And then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There were two men who were both named Jesus who were going to be crucified on that day. One's name is Jesus Barabbas. Uh, Bar Abbas means son of the father in Hebrew, Bar Abbas. And our Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And the deal is both of them were being accused of the same thing, and that's being a Messiah. And that needs a little bit of unpacking, because we just think of Jesus' concept of Messiah. But that wasn't what they thought. A Messiah was a political leader. A Messiah was an insurrectionist. A Messiah was expected to lead the Jewish people 
in arms against the Romans. And both Jesuses were found guilty of being a Messiah, a a leader of a rebellion. Now, we're at the festival of the Passover, and there again, Jerusalem was just filled with religious pilgrims who had come to celebrate this uh, important, important event in the life of the Jewish community. All of these pilgrims expected a Messiah would gather them up and lead them in rebellion against Rome. And so from the Roman point of view, this is just, this is an annual powder keg, Passover by now. And so the Roman governor, Pilate, he came up with this plan. So, you know, it, it, was, it was, he would allow the crowd to choose a prisoner to free who was slated for edu- execution. It was pl- purely a political move is the point. By letting the people choose a prisoner to go free, he, he was kind of throwing them a bone is the point, and, and you know, hoping they wouldn't rise up against his rule. And Barabbas was to be crucified for killing Romans during an insurrection, and that, that's the type of thing that the Jewish Messiah was supposed to do. I mean, this is what they expected. He was the type of Messiah that the people expected. He was a man of the sword, and he was going to win freedom from oppression by the sword. And then there's Jesus of Nazareth, a very different type of Messiah. And the people chose Barabbas rather than Jesus of Nazareth that day because he was the type of Messiah that they wanted. He was what they expected. And so Barabbas walked away a free man. Jesus took his place on the cross. Barabbas didn't do anything to deserve this. It was just free, unmerited grace, right? It was an amazing gift. Jesus died the death Barabbas deserved. Jesus took the place on the cross that was set for Barabbas. He was forgiven. He walked away experiencing life anew. What did Barabbas do with that freedom? The day that Jesus died for him. I just wonder, I mean, that gift of grace, did that change his heart at all? Did he follow Jesus after the resurrection? We really don't know. But the fact that Barabbas is never named in the New Testament or even in church history that we know, that's kind of a clue, right? Because, I mean, think about the story he would have had to tell. Jesus literally died my death on a cross that day. I chose to follow him to be his disciple from that moment on. I mean, Barabbas would have been a leader in the early church, at the very least. I mean, he was sentenced for leading a rebellion. And we know he was a leader. I mean, that was why he was being put to death that day. If he had become a disciple, we would have known it. Barabbas had no problem accepting Jesus' death on a cross so he could be set free. But the real question is, you know, did Barabbas follow the Messiah who gave his life for him. 
There's a really big difference between accepting Jesus' offer of life and choosing to follow Jesus. Does Jesus call us to accept him or to follow him? We'll come back to Barabbas in a moment. There, there's somebody else from this passion that I, I really think spending time, we're spending time with, and that's Simon of Cyrene. Simon Cyrene. He was a Jewish pilgrim, came to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And, and really, he was just a random guy in the crowd that day. He was watching Jesus carry his cross to the hill, Golgotha, to be crucified. And the soldiers, they just picked him out of the crowd, probably because he would have stuck out. Now, Simon of Cyrene, Cyrene is in Libya. Libya is in Africa. His skin would have, frankly, been darker than the rest of the crowd. So most likely, Jesus is stumbling after being beaten and tortured, and he's carrying this heavy cross, and the soldiers just kind of grab the first guy they see when he falls. Jesus couldn't bear the weight of it any longer. Now, we actually know a lot about Simon of Cyrene, a whole lot, much more than Barabbas. Listen to 1521 again from Mark. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. So Mark, I get off on literary stuff. So Mark stops the story time here. This is incredibly important. He's been telling this story in the middle of the Passion. It's all coming up to this. And then he gets to Simon of Cyrene and he just stops the narrative time and he addresses the original audience. This is incredible. And he said, do you know who this guy is? You know his kids, Simon. That's, that's Alexander and Rufus's dad. Now, if you think about this, Mark's gospel is written in Rome about 40 years later after this event happened. Mark's writing in Rome to people who knew Simon's kids, Rufus and Alexander. There's a huge case to be made that they're in the audience as he's talking, telling his story. There's a huge case to be made. They were part of the church in Rome when Mark wrote his gospel. So we know Simon is from Libya. He made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover, and then he just happened to be pulled out of the crowd on that day, carrying Jesus' cross for him the day he's crucified. Barabbas is the first man who was set free because of Jesus' death. But we completely lost him in history. But we know Simon of Cyrene's kids lived in Rome 40 years later. There's really only one reason why this would happen. Simon became a follower of Jesus. This African was the first man whose heart was changed as a direct result of the cross. And Simon's wife and his kids were leaders 
in the early church in Rome, all because Simon took up that cross and followed Jesus. So years later, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and listen to Romans 16, 13. Paul says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and greet his mother, a mother to me as well. So in Romans, greatest letter Paul ever wrote, and arguably one of the most influential documents ever written, Christian or not, in world literature, Paul pauses to greet Simon's son Rufus and Simon's wife, and he says, his wife was a mother to me as well. It just kind of raises the hair on the back of my neck, because something happened when Simon took Jesus' cross, and he carried it as he followed him up the path to Golgotha. Mark 8, Jesus said, if anyone wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed. What can they give in return for their life? In Luke's version of the Passion, he makes a really, really interesting point about Simon. In Luke 23, he writes, as they led him away, they seized the man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. He took up his cross and he followed Jesus. And his life changed. And I think he found life that day. Simon's the first example of what Jesus said his disciples need to do. He took up the cross and he followed Jesus. And his life and the lives of many were changed. See, Barabbas accepted Jesus' death on the cross for him, and he walked away a free man. Simon of Cyrene followed Jesus. One is lost to history, a story that could have been. And the other one, we know a lot about him because Simon traded in the story of himself when he started following Jesus, and he became a part of his story. You know, there's a world of difference between what Barabbas did, accepting Jesus' offer to free him and actually following like Simon. I mean, Jesus died on the cross for Barabbas, and he took his place. I mean, he died his death so he could be set free. But when it actually came to following reorienting his life, following his teachings after his example, that means we trade in a life centered on the self. 
And we enter a life centered on love of God and love of neighbor. I'm great at accepting Jesus' offer, I'll tell you right now. But that follow me part, that gets kind of hard sometimes. Because I can't be Lord of my life if I'm going to follow Jesus. And my natural inclination is the way of Barabbas. And that's not self-giving. That's not self-sacrificial. I don't want to carry my own cross, let alone somebody else's. It's so easy to accept Jesus as Lord and then just stop there is the point, right? And skip that whole follow me stuff. But what's the difference between accepting Jesus and following Jesus? As often as Christians talk about the importance of accepting Jesus, Jesus never says, accept me. No, He says, follow me. What does it mean to follow someone? What does it mean to set someone as your Lord, to be His disciple? And I know you've heard me say this before, but a follower follows their leader. A follower goes where their leader goes. A follower does what their leader does. When you become a disciple of someone, you devote your life to following them. And that's translated, you know, you do what they do. And the reality is accepting Jesus is so much easier than the following part. Following Jesus is really hard. If he's going to be our leader, we don't get to choose where we go. Followers of Jesus are followers of the crucified Lord. Followers go where their leader goes. Followers do what their leader does. If you really want to follow Jesus, there are going to be times when what you want is going to directly clash with what Jesus calls you to do. This is where you're forced to decide, am I really a follower? The other day, a friend was posting on one of my heroes, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote The Cost of Discipleship and a bunch of other things. And in The Cost of Discipleship, he wrote, whenever Christ calls, his call leads us to death. And he knew what he was talking about. And Bonhoeffer was, he was a German theologian during Nazi Germany. If you don't know his story, he left Germany for America. But he was called by Christ to go back to Germany. And he joined the resistance, and, and he followed Jesus all the way to a Nazi prison where he died a martyr's death. And by the time, by the time Bonhoeffer was killed, I, he had died so many times over and over and over as he took up that cross, and he followed Jesus. Years of dying to the self and rebirth in Christ had prepared him for that final day when he met the gallows. This English officer, Payne Best, he, he, he wrote these words describing his last hours, and I want to share them with you. Best wrote, on Sunday, April 8, 1945, Pastor Bonhoeffer conducted a little surface of worship. He found just right words to express the spirit of our imprisonment. He had hardly ended his last prayer when the door opened and two civilians entered and they said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. And that only meant one thing. 
the gallows. We all said goodbye. He took me aside. He said, this is the end, but for me, it's the beginning of life. And the next day, he was hanged in Fossenburg. And the camp doctor wrote these words. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor and praying fervently to God. And he says, I was most deeply moved by the way this unusually lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. And at the place of execution, he again said a short prayer, climbed the steps of the gallows, brave, composed, and his death ensued after a few seconds. In almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. In the last sermon he gave before he was led to the gallows, Bonhoeffer preached on two texts, Isaiah 53, by his wounds we are healed, and 1 Peter 1.3, praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Bonhoeffer never deserved that cross. But he didn't neglect it either. He died to the self time and time and time again. He died to ambition. He died to self-centeredness. He died to desire. And all of those things were replaced with new life in Christ. You know, most of us are never going to be called to the type of cross that Bonhoeffer was called to. But I do think every one of us are called to bear a cross, to carry it. A man once asked Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And he quoted the last half of the Ten Commandments Jesus did, the ones that say love others, and, you know, first half say love God, second half say love others. And the man said, I've done all that stuff since I was a little kid, I was a little boy, and Jesus, he knew the man's heart, it said. And he knew what the man needed to die to. And he said, you lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then you can follow me. He had to die to his love of possessions. Now, I think this is important here. Jesus was asked this question multiple times, and he gave multiple answers, different answer to everybody. Giving up love of possessions was this guy's cross to bear. That was the barrier for him. How each of us are called is going to look different. We all have a different cross to bear, something that we have to die to. Possessions were that, guys. But what you need to die to, that's going to be a different thing, maybe. Maybe it's possessions. Money. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe it's a career that went places you never really planned, and now you're like, how did I get here? 
I started out with ethics, and, and what happened to my beliefs, and what happened to my joy? I traded it all for a paycheck? But maybe it's an addiction. Maybe gambling, porn, alcohol, drugs, the list goes on. For so many of us, it's letting go of the reins and really letting Jesus lead our lives. Jesus be Lord of the life rather than the self. What would Jesus say to you? What would Jesus say to you? If you asked the same man that rich young ruler asked, what do you lack? And the bigot question is, is the desire in this area of your life greater than your desire for your relationship with Christ? Which do you walk away from? Jesus calls us to turn from our path and turn toward his. English word that we translate from the Hebrew that we get repent from is the Hebrew verb shuv. It simply means to turn. You just, you turn from where you're going and you turn to God. Follow him. Doesn't mean you have to feel terrible and, you know, do all the mea mea culpa. Doesn't need massive issues of guilt that you're going to have to go into years of counseling for. It means you turn and you follow Christ. You experience a new beginning. Life. You have to turn from your old life to experience new. You have to experience death a death centered on the self, then you experience a resurrection as you center your life on Jesus. You realize you're part of his story. Shuv isn't about what you say, and it's, it's, it's about behavior. It's change. Concrete behavioral change. You got to stop following yourself and you start following Jesus. And you join his story. And that can happen today, right now. Can you put yourself in that passion? And we begin slated for a cross. And Jesus takes our place. But what do we do with that? We walk off lost in history or become part of the legacy. You pray with me, Lord, I thank you on this day for life. I thank you for hope. I thank you for grace. And I thank you for new beginnings. In your amazing, amazing grace. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.